Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast, and we are coming to you from the Republican National Convention here in Cleveland. This is our first daily episode of the convention, and what a day it was, right, guys? Ooh. <laughs> it was a long day. It was a good this start. This is my was... first day of my first convention ever. And oh, was... congratulations, Thank you. Sam. I made it. It was long. You know what? It was a calm day. There wasn't a lot of, like, there was no violence or, pro- like, heavy protests. But there was some floor drama. Yeah. Was, I, well, right. yeah. anyway, That's true, yeah. So, we're going to have episodes for you guys every morning this week during the RNC, and next week, every morning during the DNC in Philadelphia. So, let's get right to it. I am Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress, but this week I'm reporting from the floor from Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And shout out to the homies, Sue and Domenico, who were on TV all night on PBS, our partners for these conventions. You guys look great. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. Let's go public. Yeah. So, <laughs> before we get rolling, let's just set the scene. We are in a radio booth on the sixth floor, like the uppermost floor of the Quicken yeah. Loans Arena in downtown Cleveland. We're up here to drop the balloons. Yes. Yeah. Home of LeBron James. Uh, this is, they just converted this thing from the NBA Finals, right? Yeah. And now we're here for the and now convention. We're here. So, got to discuss briefly the acoustics of this space. We're in a very, very tiny radio booth right next to some other radio folks. So, you might hear. Uh, the beautiful voices of some folks you don't know in the background. Don't worry about it. They're right next door. We're taking you there. You know, I would say that the thing that the thing that sticks out about this stadium is the podium setup, which is the high tech podium. It's very elaborate. The room itself, it's very red, white, and blue. It's very traditional for convention space. But the podium is really like, the, and they bragged about it in the, when they said the it's setup. Nice. It's very high tech. The it, screens and behind it moves it. up and down based on the person's yeah. height. Yes, it and was it, cool the, how the, the color the colors changed and stuff. I'll just give a shout out to Phil Alonji, who's the executive producer for the Republican. National Committee. I used to work with him at NBC where he was the executive producer for special events and he really, he knows how to put this stuff on. This was nice. It was well produced. Um, So this is the first night of the convention and in just the last week, all of the following things have happened. There was a horrible attack in Nice, France where a man drove a truck into a crowd on Bastille Day and killed more than 80 people. There was a failed coup by the military in Turkey. There was another tragic shooting death of three police officers by a gunman in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And all of this comes after Dallas. So I think we felt the impact of all of this, this whole summer of really violent news. We felt it and heard it reflected in the GOP convention tonight, right? And we should say that the theme of tonight was make America safe again. Yes. And that was announced before the events of the past week. But the timing of it was pitch perfect for this room and this night and what these delegates wanted to hear. We heard a lot from... um, police officers, from members of the military, from people who are strong on national defense, with very strong conservative messages about what Donald Trump likes to say is he's a law and order candidate and he's going to make the country safer. And I think following all of those things you just listed, I mean, and that concern goes beyond Republicans. I think in that sense, this is part, you know, conventions are about, especially here in Cleveland, unifying the party. But this is when you start to make your general election case. This is why you should vote for this party. And at this moment in time, This is a a message that is very receptive for a lot of voters. For as uneven as a lot of the day and night and speeches were, the one consistency here, as Sue is talking about, is law and order. And when you had the Milwaukee County Sheriff go up there and say, blue lives matter. And and lots of folks said blue lives matter, not just him. It was a theme of the night. But as a black sheriff going up there for this crowd. Blue lives matter in America. You could hear the rousing applause there, one of the strongest lines of the day. 
Um, and you had Rudy Giuliani, who went up there, the former mayor of New York City, who really leaned into this theme hard. He was practically shaking with anger and, and he had the most well-received speech on the floor. Without a doubt. I was down no there and it was like it. he owned this room. And we say thank you to every police officer and law enforcement agent who's out tonight protecting us, black, white, Latino, of every race, every color, every creed, every sexual orientation. When they come to save your life, they don't ask if you are black or white. They just come to save you. This got people in the hall up out of their yeah. seats. This was one of the rare up off their feet. And it was in prime one, time. Yeah. One of the moments that uh, I wasn't sure what the reception would be, but then the crowd liked it, uh, David Clark, uh, sheriff of Milwaukee County, he announced to the crowd that one of the officers involved in the Freddie Gray case in Baltimore, this was a black man who died in the back of a police van, uh, he announced that the officer had been acquitted. And but there is some good news. Everyone cheered. Out of Baltimore, Maryland, as Lieutenant Brian Rice was acquitted on all charges. And you think if the acquittal of an officer like that had been brought up at the DNC, it would have been the exact opposite reaction. Well, what's so interesting is what we're seeing is sort of what's setting up between Cleveland and Philly. Is It just sounds like there's going to be such stark contrast. Yes. We already know in Philadelphia on one night they're going to have the mothers of a lot of the victims of gun violence, yeah. some who have been killed by police, some who have just been killed by random violence. And that's going to have a very different reception. That is not a scene we would see here in Cleveland. In fact, we saw the opposite tonight. It was hashtag blue lives matter. Yes. A lot of that rhetoric on the other side saying we're not we're not strong enough in supporting law enforcement when we talk about these cases. The difference is striking. And I think one thing that we're seeing is, you know, when we, we've talked about this so much in this podcast and in our coverage, but this is a very polarized electorate. And I think what we're seeing in the themes that we heard tonight and what we know is coming up is I think that the conventions are going to show highlight that polarization in such a stark way. Well, And what was interesting for me is that a few hours earlier, this convention hall was very polarized. Yeah. Uh, yeah can right. we talk a bit about the rules voice vote today? Yeah. So my first day on the floor, first convention ever, I'm like, oh, my God, everything's so cute. Texas is wearing their cowboy hats, picture, <laughs> picture, insta, insta. So I'm just having the time of my little life. Then they get to the voice vote for the rules. Basically, the rules govern the whole convention, and chaos ensues. In the opinion of the chair, the eyes have it. So what they were trying to do at this point was have a voice vote to approve the rules that will govern the committee. But there was a contingent of delegates who said, we want to change these rules, unbind the delegates in a last-ditch effort to possibly get enough votes for someone other than Trump. So I was standing by the Virginia delegation, and there was a woman in a green dress on top of a chair, hands in the air, yelling, shame, shame. So... There's, they do the voice vote over, the yeses are trying to yell out of the noes. At one point, there's no one at the podium. The house band is trying to play well, as they, a like, distraction. Walked off. They walked off yeah. the stage. There was no one in charge. It was not at all a unified party in that moment. So the rules stand. Basically, the Never Trump movement is over. But you saw, this afternoon at least, a lot of folks still did not seem happy with Trump. Well, I would say, you know, I spent the evening down on the floor and I talked to a lot of delegates and I think 
it was striking to me how many delegates I think I would put them into three camps is what okay. I found. There was one camp that was just like, I can't, I'm not going to vote for him. I talked to one woman who said, I think I might just leave early and go home. She's an alternate delegate from Washington state. Hmm. And she came to protest and, you know, she's a conservative grassroots activist. She's a good example of a conservative who just doesn't like the establishment. She's deeply unsatisfied by Donald Trump. And then I talked to a lot of delegates who were with somebody else in the primary and I think are have come under the fold. They're going to vote for Trump, but they are not enthusiastic. They're like, well, this is where we are. This is where we're at. It's very pragmatic. And then you have the diehards, the people that love Donald Trump, that think he's changing the party, that were dancing in the aisles yeah. and really excited to be here. Which of those three groups was uh, in highest attendance? You know, anecdotally, obviously, I did not talk to every delegate yes. on the floor. Uh, Delegate batch number two, the ones that were just very clear-eyed about what their what their stake is and that Donald Trump is the nominee and that they believe the party has spoken, voters have spoken, he is their nominee, and they need to rally. And here's so the thing. Even if we're talking about, you know, uh, a handful of states and some very vocal folks who are against Trump— uh, you know, the majority of the delegates here voted for Donald Trump yes. and are bound to vote for him, and that's who's going to be nominated. So my question for both of you guys who've covered more than one convention, um, how much of what we saw with that rules fight, how much of what we're seeing on the floor is a Trumpian difference in a convention, or how much of that is just the way conventions are? Is this convention so far drastically out of the ordinary for GOP conventions. You know, in 2012, there was a similar effort on the floor, but in, in that situation, it, Ron Paul, right? it came from Ron Paul supporters who were, uh, who were not very supportive of Mitt Romney, forced a similar showdown on the floor. I think in 2012, you could draw the line that you could see the fractures in the Republican Party starting then. This time around, hmm. it's a different kind of fracture. So, and you know, it, it was described a lot as chaos on the floor, but I... The, the people that run the floor were never not in control of the floor. They Except knew, for when they left the podium. Right, but they knew this was happening. They clearly got the people, the states that they needed to withdraw to make sure it wouldn't force that vote. You know, they knew yesterday this was going to happen. Okay. They were prepared okay. for it. So it was like a controlled burn. You they knew have, it was going to come, and they knew how to stop it. Huh. And I don't think that Donald Trump winning the nomination has ever been in doubt at this convention. Yes. There's a lot of delegates, though, you talk to that are here. I mean, conventions do matter because there's a lot of delegates who came in here as Kasich supporters or Cruz supporters. And this is really like the party gathering of the faithful. Like you can kind of like hype each other up in these. Yes. This is why this exists. Yeah. And it'll be curious to see a lot of these number two bucket delegates who are maybe not, who are just getting on board and are like, all right, let's do it. They've got three more days of people to psych them up about this party and get them excited about Donald Trump. Well, you know what psyched folks up tonight throughout the entire night? Bashing Hillary Clinton. Yeah. yeah. Right, Domenico? No, I think there's no question about it that when you have disunity, when you have a fracture, um, you need to create a common enemy. It's the easiest way. I mean, polling has showed that Republicans are less satisfied with their candidate than Democrats are even. And when you have that, you have to create something that's unifying. And the thing that is apparently unifying these folks, hands down, between the law and order stuff and anti-Hillary Clinton sentiment, those were the two things that unified this this crowd tonight. Yeah. So there was this moment tonight. Uh, Pat Smith, uh, she's the mother of Sean Smith, one of the four Americans killed in Benghazi in September of 2012 when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. Uh, she blamed, during her speech, she blamed Clinton for his death. If Hillary Clinton can't give us the truth, why should we give her the presidency?
That's right, Hillary for prison. She deserves to be in stripes. So there was a woman in uh, the audience who multiple points throughout the night yelled, Hillary for prison, Hillary for prison. Um, This was the tone of what would come throughout the night. Um, Strangely enough, though, during that speech, Donald Trump actually called into Fox News, talked to Bill O'Reilly during the convention that was happening for him. Uh, So Fox, instead of carrying the convention, they carry Trump. Welcome back to the Factors coverage of the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. Joining us on the phone because this is a breaking news situation. Who said to Bill O'Reilly that the Black Lives Matter movement has to, quote, be looked into very seriously. Well, I think you have to look into it very seriously because people get themselves into big jams for saying a lot less than that. I mean, I've seen them marching down the street, essentially calling death to the police. And I think we're going to have to look into that, especially in light of what's happening with these maniacs going and shooting our police. When you say look into it, there's a constitutional right, of course, to freedom of assembly and free speech. Uh, Are you saying that you would order the attorney general to look into it for possible charges? When you see something like that taking place, that's really a threat if you think about it. And when you so see Trump is like actually on theme place, even when he's taking the camera off of his convention because we heard the same kind of theme from Giuliani, uh, David Clark, the sheriff in Milwaukee, echoing these same kind of themes. One of my questions when I listened to this tonight was there was a lot of really like red meat, a lot of red meat thrown to the conservative base, and I wonder like. What is this balance they're going to try and strike between, like, really throwing that red meat that that Trump in particular loves? He loves to attack Clinton. He loves to use, like, really strong language. And how much of the effort here is to try and, like, grow this party and no, expand this I mean, tent? Aren't we seeing both parties kind of make this a base election? Well, but, you know, and, we, and Domenico and I talked about this, but, you know, Rudy Giuliani, who hit a lot of those themes, but in my ear, and, you know, right. and I was busy on the floor, but in my ear, he was also one of the few speakers who really did at least try to reach an arc where he did talk about, like, there is no black America, yes. there is no white America, some, there's some one like America. like Obama lines, Yes, right? and that the cops come for you no matter what color you are, and that, and that we're one country. One America! What happened? What happened to? What happened to? There's no black America. There's no white America. There is just America. What happened to it? First of all, Obama said, that "There's no about red or blue no America. red America or blue America." But we right? know that yeah, racially, but, see, but the that's parties not, are pretty divided. Right, and that, but that's not what. Obama was getting at when he made that speech. It wasn't what he was trying to talk about. He was trying to talk about politically that we have things in common, that we're common people, common America. No, I definitely hear you. Yeah. But yeah. I, d- I don't think you ever entirely separate Of course not. Yeah, and I think that's what's difficult. I th- what's interesting, though, between the last eight years, I think Sue's right that the that the chasm has been widened. Yeah. I mean, the gulf, when we talk about just the police even, I mean, the view that, you know, I heard Tom Cotton earlier today, a senator from Arkansas, say this party will give police the benefit of the doubt. And he said it repeatedly. And I think that that is something that is changed with the Democratic Party, where you don't see that necessarily the benefit of the doubt anymore being just with the police. And that is a big kind of dividing line that you've seen here among police officers around the country and how they view the Obama administration. Uh, And that's going to play out over these next couple weeks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What I also think is like what Republicans have shown and what they're really good at and House Speaker Paul Ryan's talked about this a lot. They are a fantastic opposition party. They know how to be against Democrats 
probably better than Democrats know how to be against Republicans. I think that's always been you true. Know? And like, <laughs> and we saw this tonight. When they go after Hillary Clinton, it hits every note in this room and the crowd loves it. The question is, what are their propositions? What are their policy ideas? What are they trying to put forward? And Paul Ryan has tried to create his own carve-out agenda, as he's tried to do this year. He's talked about the Paul Ryan. Which side is he? Exactly. The Paul Ryan wing of the party and the Trump wing of the party. We've seen a lot of the stylistic of the Trump wing of the party, but we're still a little bit soft on policy here. We we still don't know what these big ideas are that they want to move forward, except tonight we did, of course, hear about building the wall. And I totally agree with you that it doesn't appear to be about reaching out to some kind of swing voters. Like, it doesn't appear to be, you know, it's total base. We've become more polarized. But I also wonder about, like, the niche media culture that people grow up in now in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, you can believe whatever you want to believe, and you find somebody on the Internet who's going to validate your opinion, and then you can live in an echo chamber and never have to think that anybody else's opinion matters or is valid. And I think that's part of what we're seeing. You guys, we've talked for a long time and have yet to discuss one Melania Trump. Slay. <laughs> she slayed. I thought the dress was the dress was fire. It was, it was you know, going all white was provocative. Yeah. I thought it was like a really interesting choice. It was a very fashion forward. Yeah. So I was on the side of the floor and saw Donald and like Lania walking to the back of the stage like an hour before they came out, and I saw them in that moment walking like. They know how to be famous. Okay, we also have to just we need we need to back up from Melania for a second to talk about the way that Trump came onto the stage. Okay, okay, so okay, let's set it up. Help me, Sue. Okay, so the the screen the room goes dark. Yes, Uh, part of the screen goes bright white, and you see and then you see a black shadow shadow of a man. But you know who that man is. And then we are the champion starts playing, and out comes Donald Trump. I was waiting for the wind fan to be blowing his hair. <laughs> I mean, it was dramatic. From where you were standing, could you see the full silhouette the way? I yes. saw the silhouette. Oh, yes. it, I was, it was like a shadowed silhouette. I mean, it was And like, he has such a such a clear silhouette. Yes. You know, yeah. you, you were like, almost, oh, who's that? You could almost was, see his smile through it. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. like, it was very dramatic. It was very, you know, he said he wanted to bring some like showbiz, some sure glamour, did. some 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 Hollywood I, to this. Yeah. And it was I very dramatic. I bet it's going to be on Maybe the it was a little more, more Vegas than Hollywood. He, he knows how to be famous. But I was surprised by once he got to the mic, his, yeah. his introduction for his wife was quite short. Ladies and gentlemen, short and sweet. Restrained. One minute, yeah. by the way, one yeah. minute. I timed it from the beginning. Just a minute. It was amazing. The next first lady of the United States, my wife. Overall verdict on it, I thought it was pretty solid. For what she needed to do, she did it. You know, I was really curious to listen to her tonight because, but we don't know a lot about Melania Trump. Thank you very much. You have all been very kind to Donald and me. Normally, you know, wives and spouses have a much more public role on the campaign. They'll do, they'll campaign on their own. They'll hold events. They've given more speeches. Like she's given a handful of interviews. I mean, but there are two Here, really good profiles of yeah, her. Yeah, but like, and I urge folks that want to know about her, the GQ profile is a good is read. Quite good. But this is the biggest speech she's ever given. Yes. This is not her talent. This is not something she's interested in. So I think that she was under a lot of pressure just to be good. I'm so proud of your choice for president of the United States. My husband, Donald J. Trump. Here's the thing, though. Donald Trump is the most disliked 
major party ticket nominee in history, in American history. The job of a spouse and a vice presidential pick, for that matter, is to be able to be a validator for that person, to be able to round the edges, to soften that person a bit. The RNC knew going in to tonight and the rest of these nights that Donald Trump has a likability problem and that they have to make him more acceptable to a broader electorate. Did she help do that? No, I don't think she did because I think that she's spoken a lot of platitudes. No specifics. There were no specifics. There were no specific, like, give me a story. Like, tell me, there's got to be something. Let's compare her speech to the last speech from a first lady, Michelle Obama's. It seems as if there's a lot to actually compare. Uh We're hearing some reports now that a graph or two of Melania's speech tonight was kind of sort of lifted from Michelle Obama's 08 address. So we're going to queue up Melania and then give you Michelle, and our listeners can be the judge and jury. And Barack and I were raised with so many of the same values. The values that you work hard for what you want in life. You work hard for what you want in life. That your word is your bond and you do what you say and keep your promise. That your word is your bond, that you do what you say you're gonna do. That you treat people with respect. That you treat people with dignity and respect. Because we want our children in this nation to know to know that, that the, the only, only limit, limit to the to height your of your achievements, achievements is the reach of your dreams and, and your, your willingness, willingness to, to work, work for, for them. them. Well, so what, and of course it happened, we find on Twitter shortly after her speech that people listen to her speech. Twitter be fact-checking. You know, whoever the person was that heard that and immediately could remember Michelle Obama's 2008 speech, good on them, I don't have that kind of memory. Uh, It is not... I mean, for those kind of platitudes. I mean, this was basically copying a Hallmark card. Yeah, this is, we want our children to have a better future. But it is, I mean, you know, we are journalists and if this was, if this was two stories and we saw the same two reporters putting this in their stories, you might be like, well, this is a little and, too close for comfort yeah. for it to be con- to, for it to be an accident. Does this well. hurt her? No. Well, I mean, she didn't write the speech. I mean, yeah. Let's be honest, right? It might get a so speechwriter in trouble. Right. It might get so maybe, right? I mean, maybe they double down and say like, you know, Michelle you Obama know ripped it from her. But yeah. wait. <laughs> if if I had been assigned to write a speech for a potential future first lady, the first thing I would do is, is go, go back and read the other ones. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, totally. Apparently, that's what they did. Yeah. 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 Anyway. The only thing I would say about Melania, okay, so we should just say, in case any of our listeners are wondering, she the designer she wore was by a designer named Roxanda, and it is a dress that can retail for up to $2,100. American designer? Are she, there are there ripoffs already? Like, uh, you know, you can get like the cheap It's already version. sold out, I'm sure. Roxanda, yeah. I apologize if I'm not saying her name right. I'm not familiar with the designer. She's Serbian-born and London-based, according to Women's Wear Daily. And I just think this is notable because first ladies become fashion plates, and what they wear becomes you know hot oh, yeah. like it's debated and it's yeah. symbolic and every decision is made and if you remember Michelle Obama made several designers famous, famous. with things she chose to wear this is obviously not a designer that's very well known Michelle Obama with Jason Wu which I don't know and if you guys Kuhn. are familiar sure. yes yeah. you know she put a lot but of designers on the map. Crew. yes so i think there's a lot of like politics behind what too. first ladies wear and it's also i think they use it as an opportunity to showcase designers and i think it's interesting she picked someone serbian born yeah uh, she was making a statement with that dress and yeah. uh, i think that she looked she looked very chic yeah anyway so first night done are we gonna grade rank this first night overall i don't like grades yeah it's tough to say i do think i'd like broadly i would go back and say that i think that it was it, it worked out well for republicans that their first thematic night was something that i think a lot of people in the hall were really hungry for yes. and even though 
the there's still some divisions among delegates and, and party unity here. Like the message was strong, at least in the room. Yeah. And the question is, does the message reverberate outside of the already diehard Republican voter? I think it was bumpy and uneven, huh. uh, but that they accomplished to an extent what they wanted to, which was to, to get past all of the disunity that's behind them. And they wanted to be able to unify on a message, which is law and order and against Hillary Clinton. And that can perhaps propel them into the rest of the week, especially if this is what we think it is, a base election for them, that, you know, that's a start. Yeah. So what's on tap for Tuesday? Make America... Tomorrow is Make America Work Again. So it's Economy Day. Who's the headliner? I believe we're supposed to now. We've been not, we have not had. <laughs> we'll find out at 9 We should say morning. that there's a lot of this freewheeling here in Cleveland. We're getting details sort the of day of. The whole schedule is not yet. We yeah. haven't seen the whole schedule for Tuesday night. We, I do believe that House Speaker Paul Ryan is supposed to talk tomorrow. We're going to. Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan is going to talk tomorrow night. We're going to do the roll call tomorrow. So this is, this is when they'll what do the roll call. What time should we expect the roll call? That'll be, in, I believe it's in the afternoon. It's after around 5.30. Yeah. And then they'll go prime time and Paul Ryan's supposed to speak. I believe House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy may speak and and we haven't seen the full lineup of speeches the, yet. And the roll call is important because we're not only going to, we're no longer, we're going to hang up this presumptive word that no one uses in real life. I hate the word presumptive. <laughs> and we'll just call him the nominee. I mean, he won't have it officially accepted. We can't call him the head of the ticket by the time until he accepts on Thursday, but he's, he the will be the nominee. Yeah. So no Trump speech tomorrow. No. No, he's not. Well, not that. Let me know. know Maybe he'll rappel down on. uh, I don't know. We're up here pretty high. We should also say uh, his his vice presidential nominee, Mike Pence, was in the House tonight. I saw him. He sat next to Bob um, Dole. Bob Dole, the 1996 nominee, former senator from Kansas, World War II vet. (laughs) Melania gave him a shout out. Who, by the way, did you see the the uh, the uh, the political pin he had on? No. On his tie, it was a pin for Ike. Like Eisenhower? Like I like Ike? Like yeah, it was one of those. I didn't see. I couldn't see that close to it, but I saw it said Ike. And on another note, I thought I don't think we can leave without talking about the celebrity quotient tonight, <laughs> such that it was. Uh, Donald Trump had promised he wanted a glitzy convention. He wanted some glamour at his convention. The glamour tonight came the two best-known celebrities, maybe the three. We had a star from the show Duck Dynasty. Yes. Uh, 80s uh, sitcom actor Scott Baio, best Charles known for Charles. Charles in Charge. Uh, and Antonio Sabato Jr., a model and actor best known for his appearances on soap operas, including General Hospital. And Calvin Klein Underwear commercials? Yes. And, um, you know, is it worth it to have these guys? I mean, what do they bring? Sing the Charles in Charge theme song. Charles in charge of my days and my nights. So, yeah, good job. Um, <laughs> Just one so, other, like, Scott, final thought on the celebrity and, question, though, is that... Yeah. Donald Trump promised, like, glitz and glamour and Hollywood. We got C-list. Yeah, I mean, it's a little, it's hard to call it super. It's it's, a dynasty. They're very popular. That's true. That's true. But they're not Hollywood. And I don't think they'd consider themselves Hollywood either. All right. That's a wrap for today. We'll be back tomorrow and every day after that. Uh, By the way, there's going to be a lot of reporting of what we're doing out here. It's going to be on your radio. You guys are like, radio? What? (laughs) (laughs) What's the radio? What's the radio? If you never listen to the actual radio or stream it live online, this week is a very good week to try that out. Everyone you hear on the podcast will be all over NPR this entire week. Go to npr.org slash stations to find your local station every morning, every evening. If you're listening to Morning Edition, All Things Considered, or Weekend Edition, you're doing it right. And the odds are you're going to catch a lot of us on the air. 
All right. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. And this week, I'm reporting from the floor in Cleveland. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.